This is the On All Cylinders Podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Your host for today is Summit Racing's Paul Sokolis with special guest Dan Muldowney, co-founder of Race Gas. Here we go. Hello and welcome once again to another installment of the On All Cylinders Podcast. I'm your host for today, Paul Sokolis, and though you may not be able to see it, I am indeed wearing a lab coat for today's episode because we are going to be talking a lot about the science behind fuel, specifically race fuel. And to do that, joining me on this episode is Dan Muldowney, co-founder of Race Gas. And Dan knows a lot about the science and chemistry of fuel. Dan, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you for having me. So before we really dive into this topic, um, tell us how this all started. How did you get into motorsports? How did you grow to become this uh, guru of gasoline? Well, I got into motorsports as a teenager. My dad was a racer and uh, I was more than happy to schlep tires around and fuel and change oil and do all the other fun things that kids do uh, to be at the track. And eventually I started autocrossing and then, of course, got into racing itself. The company, the, the founding of the company actually is kind of a weird story because I was trying to solve a problem for myself. So back, God, I want to say in the late 90s or 2000s, somewhere in that range, I had gone to a racetrack and my car at the time used 110 octane fuel. So I bought gas at, at the track at the pump. The pump said 110. It was the right color, looked okay to me. Uh, went out there and on my third lap of a practice session, I melted three pistons. And what I found out was that gas had been sitting around for a long time and it accumulated moisture and dirt and some of the, the constituent components that turned into gums and varnishes. And it wasn't really the octane they said it was. Now, normally I would just fix the pistons and go on, which is what I did. But 18 months later, I did the same thing again. And this time it took the crank and a connecting rod and it took the case. So that was the whole engine was toast. And I thought to myself, I got to find a way to solve this problem for myself. Otherwise, I can't afford to race. I can't afford to be spending that kind of money on a new engine every 18 months. So first I looked at, well, is there a way to test Octane in the field? And back then there really wasn't. Um, there were some portable testers that you could buy, but they were like forty, fifty thousand dollars. And if you really wanted an accurate test, you needed a, a test engine, which costs like three hundred thousand dollars. So obviously, I wasn't going to solve my problem that way. So then I just started looking at it from the other direction, saying, "Okay, well, what's the difference between racing fuel and pump gas? Like, what makes high octane fuel high octane other than the octane?" And I spent all this time doing research. I found just all sorts of great information. I ran into a couple of former petrochemical engineers that gave me some insight and some data sources and things to look for. And then along the way, as I was starting to perfect this, my then racing buddy, now business partner, Mark, came up and said, you know, stupid, we could make a company out of this if you figure this out. So about that time, we ran into or came across a formulary lab in Michigan and a standard testing lab in Dallas. And we didn't have the money to pay the formulary lab to actually make the product, like invent it. But we had enough money for them to consult where I could make the blend candidates. And they'd be like, no, this doesn't burn right or it burns sooty or it burns too fast or too slow or the EPA won't let you do that or whatever the heck it was. And through that back and forth process, we came down to some initial blend candidates 
And then what we would do is there's a lab in Texas that most of the fuel companies in the U.S. use to do their standardized testing on fuel, specifically the ASTM D2699 and 2700 test. And for those of you who don't know what that means, that is the American Society for Testing and Materials. And it is the people who set the standards for, among other things, the octane reading and fuel. So what we would do is we'd go to a gas station anywhere around our shop. I'd buy some gasoline. I'd mix it to the octane that it theoretically should be at. And I'd send a liter of the base fuel with no additive in it. And then a liter of the product, you know, our product blended with that pump gas. And then they would test them and send us the results back. And through that sort of trial and error and back and forth between the three labs, we invented our first product, which is Race Gas Original, which comes in the orange label. Along the way, a lot of people came to us and said, mm, you know, I, I need higher octane fuel. Can you make a version of Race Gas that's just more potent? And we thought, oh, you know, turn up the volume on our original product and that should do it. Mm, didn't work at all. What we found was in, in very high compression engines and also boost and, and, and those sorts of things, the characteristics of the fuel are very different and the way the fuel burns is very different. So one of the things we were finding out when we tried to take our old product and, and stretch it was that it would make a nice, clean ignition from the spark plug at the proper time, and it would create a nice, even flame front, but it would get blown out before it reached the edges of the pistons. So what ends up happening is you end up with a hot spot in the middle of the piston, and we were melting pistons that way. So what we thought was going to take two months actually took two years. Um, so we, we finally got that figured out. And about four years ago, we came out with our, 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 our race gas ultra product. Um, and that one blends from, uh, 108 to 113. Um, and then our final product, or I shouldn't say final, our currently final product, um, is race gas diesel performance plus, and it's the only diesel product on the market that is specifically designed for diesel performance. Anti-gel, anti-fungal, anti-water, all that other stuff, we don't do any of that. We focus on cetane and we focus on oxygenation. Oh, and lubrication. So guys that are putting bully dog tuners and bigger turbos and all this other stuff, they can only get so much performance out of those engines before they run out of cetane and they can't create more power. By bringing the cetane up over 65 versus low sulfur diesel, which is in the 40s, we're able to give them that, that the cetane, which would, for lack of a better term, is kind of the equivalent of octane for a diesel engine. And then the other problem they had is they, they couldn't figure out a way to oxygenate the fuel without it spontaneously combusting when it came out of the injector, because they're under really high pressure, or having it phase separate the gasoline. Well, we figured out how to do that too. So that product is gaining a pretty good following, both for the guys that are putting it in their tow rig to haul their car to the track or actually drag racing diesels. So yeah, that, that's kind of the history of us. Yeah, that is quite a journey. But let's rewind back to sort of square one. Uh, you said the company kind of got started on the sour note when you blew, a, blew an engine by running bad gas. But uh, can you kind of elaborate on that and explain some of the perils of running, um, air quotes now, bad gas or, or low octane gas? And maybe even talk about like what turns gas bad, uh, what elements are at play from a chemistry standpoint that makes gas no longer usable. Actually, the worst thing that can happen is you would get detonation or, or knock. So for those of you who've heard the term and might not know what it is, 
detonation, knock, pinging. There's a bunch of different names for it. All it means is that when the fuel is being compressed in the compression stroke, the heat of the compression sets the gasoline off before the spark plug does. So what ends up happening is you create multiple flame fronts moving at different speeds to the edges of the piston, and it causes the piston to literally rattle inside the bore of the engine. And that makes that distinctive knocking sound. And what can happen is, uh, you know, I have one of the pistons from my race car, and it shows where it just melted a nice clean hole along the edge of the piston. And then it's, of course, melted a hole in the, in the, the cylinder bore also. So that's, that's sort of one thing. Um, another thing that can happen is uh, when fuel sits, it, it, the, you know, the time is not good to fuel. The more it sits, the less performance and good for your engine, if you will, it becomes. So your enemies really are water, evaporation, oxidation, and temperature. So what happens is when the fuel sits is the first thing that happens is you start oxidizing the fuel. And that's just very simply where the chemical construction of the fuel, a lot of the hydrocarbons will lose an electron molecule and pick up an oxygen molecule from the air. And it changes the burn characteristics of that hydrocarbon. The second thing that happens is the light aromatics that give you like throttle response and stuff that all of us that race care about, those evaporate off very quickly. So that's going to lead to hard starts, poor throttle response, those kinds of things. You know, the, the next one is fuel is very hydroscopic. It picks up water out of the air very easily. And of course, that water settles to the bottom of the tank. And when you first start that car, you're running on water. So obviously not what it was designed to do. Finally, the other one is, is just UV infiltration and light. A lot of fuels that use uh, organometallic compounds to add octane, which in the past was lead, but in today it can be iron, cobalt, magnesium, manganese. There's a number of ones you can use. What will happen is those will oxidize based on the UV infiltration. And what will happen is they'll precipitate out and create this brown sort of sludge at the bottom of the tank. So there's, there's just a number of things that, that are not good. Like if, you've, if you stored your car for the, the winter and you didn't use a fuel stabilizer, I always recommend get the gas out of there if you can get the tank out and clean it. Yeah, and I think for a lot of those uh, summer car owners that that winterize their car, um, that's a pretty standard maintenance procedure in, in spring as the car gets out of the garage. Um, but let's take a quick step back because you've used some terms like octane and anti-knock index that may not be so familiar to a lot of the folks out there listening. Can you give us like a 101 style explainer of what those terms mean and how they relate to fuel? Yeah. I mean, this is an interesting topic. And when we first started the company, I was a little bit amazed that even big engine builders really don't understand octane that well. I mean, a lot of them do, but there's a few out there that are sort of not quite well-versed in the subject. So the octane rating of a fuel, as I said before, is its resistance to detonation under compression. The higher the octane fuel, the more it will resist going off or burning before the spark plug sets it off. The reason why we do this is with high compression engines or high boost engines or engines that are running a lot of timing, they need to have that fuel light off when the plug sets it off, not when the piston does. So there's a couple of different octane numbers that are used, and a lot of people are confused by this. There's the motor octane number, which is the performance of the fuel in engine test stand, single engine 
test uh, under load. And then there is the research octane number, which is the same test, but at idle, at low speed. And then the anti-knock index, if you ever look on your gas pump, when you pump gas, it says R plus M divided by two. That's the research octane plus the motor octane divided by two. So it's the average of the two, and that's called the anti-knock index. So what number should you care about? The standard in the United States, and it's true for all the fuel companies, even though they publish their motor octane number and research octane number, the standard rating of octane is always the anti-knock index. So one of the things we tell our customers is that when you read our blend charts, it is to the anti-knock index as it would be with any other fuel manufacturer. There are products on the market out there that don't tell you what octane number they build to. And the reason why is because they're, they're raising the research octane number, which is the easiest one to affect. Now, the problem with that is, I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of races and I've never raced a, a, won a race at idle. You know, I'm, I'm usually using the gas. So, you know, that, that's just a poor representation of the performance of the fuel. And, uh, you know, the buyer should be aware of that. There are some other octane numbers that are starting to become prominent. You'll hear things like motor octane number or road octane number or realized octane number. And these things are sort of, they're trying to get closer to a better way of representing how the fuel performs under normal driving conditions. So you're going up and down the RPM range, you're, you're stopping, you're starting, so on. And uh, they're trying to come up with a new measurement for that. And uh, right now, AKI is the best we got. It's the one we all agree to. But um, there are some other numbers that are coming up in popularity that will soon eventually, fingers crossed, be standardized. Yeah, certainly and a lot of numbers to remember there for sure. Um, now, we'll get to talking about uh, your race gas products in a bit more detail in a moment. But perhaps before we do that, it might be a good idea to kind of break down some of the differences between say, lead additives and octane boosters, two things we've kind of touched on already. And then there's something we haven't really talked about, and that's aviation fuel. A lot of racers will actually use aircraft-grade fuel for a perceived performance benefit. Um, so can you talk a bit about that and some of the distinctions we should be aware of? Yeah, aviation fuel is probably our number two question that we get on our tech line. And what people fail to understand is that fuel is designed for the engine it's going to go in and how that engine's going to be used. And airplanes are not like cars, okay? So I'm also a pilot. When you take off, you're at full power, mixture rich, and you climb to altitude. And then when you get to altitude, say 5,000 feet, you retard the throttle to what we call the economy cruise, and it's a much lower RPM. And then you lean the throttle out as lean as you can get it without stalling the engine. And then you're at that RPM range pretty much the whole way to wherever you're going. And then when you go to land, you enter the pattern and you're pretty much at idle or, or very low power as you're coming down the glide slope and then you land. That's not how a car works. Cars go up and down the RPM scale. Drag race cars need throttle response. Road course racers, time attack, autocross, they need to be able to go up and down the RPM range consistently and constantly. So as a result, the way the octane of aviation fuel is determined is two different numbers. So they have what they call mixture rich and mixture rich is, as I said before, sea level, full power, mixture rich, all the way rich. And then they have what they call lean power, which is you're at altitude, 
you've retarded the throttle and you've retarded the mixture, and that's another octane number. Those two numbers have no relationship to anything involved with a car. Guys need to look at that one right there. It, it's, uh, it, it's interesting because it, is aviation fuel higher octane to a car? Yes, it is. But what does it lack? It lacks the light fuel aromatics and all the stuff you need for, for, for good starting and what you need for throttle response, which it just doesn't have. The other thing, too, is aviation fuel is leaded. Now, the fallacy out in the marketplace is that LL, low leaded aviation fuel, so like 100 low lead, is a low leaded racing, or is a low leaded aviation fuel. It's not. It is a low level aviation fuel in comparison to other aviation fuels. In comparison to gas you put in your car when we had leaded fuel, it's got five or six times more lead than that had before. So it's low lead in comparison to other aviation fuels. It is not low lead in comparison to car gas. You had asked about the differences between octane boosters, what we do, and lead additives. So we'll start with lead additives. Lead is a really good octane booster. And for it has those properties, and that's part of the reason why people buy it. But the biggest reason why people buy it is they don't have hardened valve seats in their engine. So for example, you might have a classic 60s muscle car and it's built to factory spec and it doesn't have hardened valve seats. So what happens is when you don't have lead in the fuel is the temperature differential between the valve and the valve seat are pretty extreme. So when the valve closes on the valve seat, it creates what they call micro welds, little places where the metal actually joins together, it fuses. And then, of course, the valve open and it rips those off. So what happens is the valve seat recedes. It starts losing its sort of shape and, and its depth. What lead does is it creates a sacrificial layer on the valve seat so that those micro welds don't happen. So you can use it in a classic car that doesn't have hardened valve seats. I always tell people, Use lead extremely cautiously because it is unbelievably poisonous. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that, frankly, I mean, we looked at doing a leaded product and I didn't want the hassle and, and the legal ramifications that come with that. So we decided against doing that. What's interesting is for those customers that have classic cars that don't have hardened valve seats, you can use a product like ours. Because instead of using lead, we're using manganese and some other organometallic compounds for the octane properties. But those two also create that sacrificial layer around the valve seat, so they do stop valve seat recession. And I always tell guys, when you rebuild your engine, put in hardened valve seats. But if you're not rebuilding your engine, you still have the non-hardened valve seats. You can use a product like ours and safely drive that car without damaging anything. So then you had mentioned... Octane boosters and what we do. So this is a very interesting discussion. Octane boosters increase octane, okay? And there's, there's a market for that. So hypothetically, I'm driving, I'm towing my race car to the track. It's super hot. The engine's pinging a little bit. It's not performing well in my tow vehicle. So getting a 104 or an NOS or something like that off the shelf and dumping it in your tank will make a difference. It'll increase the octane a couple of points. Now, this is a very important thing to understand is a point of octane is not a number. 
it's a tenth of a number. So when it says raises octane by five points, that means if you have 91, you have now have 91.5. Okay. When you raise the octane by a number, and let's say it's one number, that same gallon of 91 is now 92. So that's a very important distinction. People use those two words interchangeably and they're not interchangeable. So oct- like I said, an octane booster is good for those situations where you know you need a little extra uh, octane for the fuel to keep the engine running properly or you know like I said, under towing conditions or you're going up into the Rockies or wherever and you need you, you need that. A race fuel concentrate like we have is a very different animal. So the major differences between racing fuel are obviously octane, which everybody knows, but it's also chemical energy and chemical oxygen. So racing fuel has higher chemical energy, higher octane, and higher chemical oxygen than regular fuel. So why is this important? If you have high octane and low chemical energy, you're going to lean the engine out at wide open throttle and you can potentially damage the engine. If you have high octane and low chemical oxygen, some of the fuel will burn in the exhaust stroke and you can damage the engine that way. So in order to replicate racing fuel, you have to have those three things. Our product from the onset, we were always designed to be a direct replacement for commercial racing fuel. And that's, that's what we figured out. That's what we needed to have in our product in order to do that. So the way we tested our product is actually quite interesting and is, is, I think, is pretty unique in the marketplace. I've never seen anybody else do this. But what we did is on all our dyno testing is we would get an engine. And if, hypothetically, that engine runs on 105 octane fuel. So we'd buy 100 octane racing fuel and we would get in the cell and tune the engine to perfection on 105, get it right in the sweet spot. And then we would purge the system and we would get gasoline from the gas station across the street, add our product into, into it and rerun the test. What we were trying to prove is that not that we could outperform racing fuel, but could we duplicate the same performance? And the answer is yes. We've done hundreds of dynos. There's a, many of them on our website. Customers send them to us all the time. And again, what we're trying to do is offer a product that can be a direct replacement to commercial racing fuel at a much lower price and a much more convenient way to get it. Okay, so guilty admission. I haven't been to a track at all this year, so I can't speak to to the current prices. But how did you come to the conclusion that your race gas product when mixed with pump gas can be a cheaper alternative to buying your race fuel directly from the vendor? So, okay, so that that's a valid question. So, what we did is, um, and you can find this on our website also, but what we did is we took an average of four commercial fuel makers that did high-octane fuel, and we took an average of their prices at different octane levels. And then we took the same octane levels and blended our product with pump gas and showed the difference in price. And in many instances, we were 40 to 60% less than commercial racing fuel. That really only tells part of the story because the other reason, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. When I was racing early in my career before I invented this product, I would go and I would buy racing, ga- uh, you know, racing fuel from First Farmers Fuel Co-op or there was a number of places you could get it. 
and it would be either barrels or drums or, or five gallon fuel cans in my truck. And I would go up there and one of two things would happen. One of three things I'd have a normal race weekend and I planned for enough gas and I have enough gas. Um, I go to test and tune on Friday and I break the car and I can't fix it. And now I got a fire sale, no pun intended, this gasoline to get rid of it because it's going to spoil. Or I have a new setup on my car. The car is really hooking up good. And it's Sunday afternoon and I still got another race to run and there's, I'm out of fuel. So now I'm going around begging and borrowing and stealing for anything I can get. Well, our product eliminates that. You can blend what octane you want, wherever you want, and as much quantity as you want anywhere. So you're not going to have to scramble looking for the stuff. You don't have to spend the high prices that you would for, for a commercial racing fuel in, in a five-gallon container, which is the way most of it is sold. And you, you don't run the risk of having too much or too little. There's an additional sort of aspect to our product too that that's becoming more and more important. The Department of Transportation nationally and also local DOTs are changing the rules on how you can transport gasoline. In a lot of states, putting a 55-gallon drum in your trailer is illegal. In order to make it legal, you have to have placards, you have to have a hazmat cleanup kit, somebody has to have hazmat training, and you need a commercial driver's license. And if you get caught, it's a pretty hefty fine. In some states, it could be very hefty. So with our product, the beauty of it is it's technically not gasoline. So there's no limitations on transportation. I can ship this stuff. I can even air freight it. So the legalities around our products that could come into play for a lot of racers just aren't there that uh, that they would be with with racing fuel not to mention the fact that you don't have a 55 gallon drum taking up space in your trailer or or a bunch of five gallon jugs for that matter well and we've got you know we have pack sizes for power sports too so we've got smaller cans like we created a 16 ounce can when uh, a couple of harley davidson dealerships came to us and said hey can you make something that's just dump it in there it makes one tank of fuel i can put it in my saddle bag and i'm good to go and that, you know, we just, rather than trying to re-engineer a product to do something differently, we just took our existing product and put it in a smaller can and it works great. And then wintertime too, like we, a lot of guys, a lot of the new sleds that are out are turbocharged um, and everybody's tuning them. Now, why you want to go faster on a snowmobile is beyond me because they scare the hell out of me, but whatever. So, uh, you know, these, these guys are buying our 16 ounce cans um, and they're using it to boost the trail gas, which is usually 87 or 89, and then you know get full performance out of their engine. We also see the same thing in the ATV market. Again, I don't know what it is with, guy, with car guys, but we can't leave anything alone. So there's a lot of people that are tuning in ATVs and, and uh, you know, side-by-sides and all those kinds of things, and they need a higher octane. And of course, when you're out in the boonies you know, and you can only get 87, what are you going to do? Okay, so that dovetails nicely into a question I've been meaning to ask, Um, uh, because I'm playing out this scenario in my head, right? I'm out in the middle of nowhere with my ATV or my snowmobile. I've got my 87 pump gas. How tough is this stuff to mix? Am I going to be out there calculating my own ratios, or or what's the proper blending recipe, so to speak? Uh, (laughs) So... I'm laughing a little bit because we get that question a lot and I'll, I'll use in a specific instance. This is 2011, 2010, something like that. Um, we were on a, a prominent TV show for motorsports 
And uh, the guys that run the show called us up and they said, okay, well, how do you want us to test this? And I said, read the side of the can and do what it says. And it got real quiet for a long time. And they finally come back and said, is that it? I'm like, yeah, that's it. Just follow the directions. So it's very easy to blend. Uh, the back of our can has a blend chart. It says, you know, what's your starting octane and what octane do you want to get to? And then it'll tell you how many ounces to add per gallon. Uh, we also have on our website a calculator that you can do exactly the same thing. I've, I've got 91 octane. I want to make 104 octane. What do, you know, what do I need? And it'll tell you. But it's, it's very simple to mix. A lot of people ask, well, do you have to mix it outside the car or can you mix it in the car? And the answer is yes to both. So in my race car, um, what I do is when my tank is empty, I pour a can in and then I put pump gas on top of it. It just, the, you know, the agitation of the fuel coming into the tank will mix it up pretty well. Um, if you're doing it on a full tank, we always tell people, you know, dump it in at the end and let the car idle or drive it around a little bit to get it to agitate and fill the rail um, or carburetor, as the case may be. But it's, it's a very straightforward product to mix. If you follow the directions, you'll get what you need. And, uh, you know, the nice thing is what we did with our product, which all commercial fuel manufacturers are also required to do, is we certified all our blends. So every single number on that blood chart has been tested by a lab and is valid. So our customers can use our product with confidence. Well, yeah, that certification has got to be pretty reassuring. Um, but a, a topic kind of popped into my head as you were speaking, because I don't think we've addressed this topic directly yet. So far, we've been talking a lot about race spec engines, which, you know, typically do run higher compression where, where something like timing and ignition and certainly a fuel octane plays a, a pretty critical role. But what about high power street engines? Um, what kind of like a compression ratio is we talking about where, where race gas would be, would be beneficial? Are we talking 12 to 1 or higher? Or, or what about boosted applications? Starting at 12 to 1, you're starting to get a little, a little high. Um, you can run 12 to 1 compression engines on lower octane fuel if you're set up for that. But, you know, at 12 to 1, you can start playing with timing and fuel trims and those sorts of things. You can make a heck of a lot of power. So in those instances, I mean, can you run that engine on street fuel? Yeah, if you're set up for it. But can you put another tune in the ECU or rejet the carburetor and change the timing to get more power out of that engine? Absolutely. And that's when you're going to need higher octane fuel. All right. So I guess that was kind of a two-part question then, because what you're saying is that uh, there are some positive benefits to running your race gas product in a street car. Yeah. And a lot of guys do. I mean, it's, it's a big chunk of our business. And, you know, if you think about cars, the car market today has gotten really funky in that it's taken a number of weird turns. So you sort of have the whole SUV thing, which that's been going on forever. And then you've got the just regular everyday cars. So Honda Accord, Toyota Camry, whatever it is. And then you've got hybrids and EVs, and that's a whole nother train. And then on the other side of the equation, you've got the Hellcat Red Eye Demon. Monster power from the factory. It's just all about getting power to the ground. And uh, the new stable, if you will, of American muscle cars, new American muscle cars, and you also see this in Japanese and German and other performance cars, is that they make one ECU for the whole world. And that engine control unit has to survive in areas that have good gas, like the United States, and bad gas, like a country south of our border. So what it does is they build some sensitivity into the fuel and timing maps. If it gets 
bad fuel, it will retard timing and you'll lose performance just because the, the fuel's not good enough, the engine won't perform correctly. So it compensates. If you feed it good gas, it does the opposite. It, it starts to add timing and it starts to add fuel until it detects knock and then it, it'll back it off just to keep the engine safe. What has happened is I would say over the last 20 years or so, a lot of the large car manufacturers, both foreign and domestic, have gotten into making their own performance parts. Now, Mopar always did it, and there's a Toyota Racing Development did, and those sort of things. But, you know, you've got, there's all kinds of factory-made power adders you can buy for these cars now. I mean, Scion was a great example. They sold this huge line of stuff, and the cars were meant to be tuned. So for those particular applications, yeah, you're going to want a higher octane fuel on the street to run those power adders. You know, so that's why, you know, a, a big chunk of our business are the sort of the late, you know, the late model stable of muscle cars and, and European and Japanese performance cars. And then, of course, the other part of the market is big old, beautiful American 60s iron, you know, like I got a GT350 with a high compression engine and I need X octane and he drives that on the street. God bless him. I love, wish I could. And they buy our stuff for the exact same reason as they can mix what they want, where they want, when they want. Um, so yeah, you can use it on the street. We did a couple of dyno tests just to understand how much that sensitivity was. And one of the cars we tested was the Subaru WRX STI. And it was bone stock. We did not touch anything. We got a baseline on it. And then we took the octane up to like 97. And we got 22 rear horsepower, rear horsepower at the wheels. Um, which surprised the heck out of us. I mean, we figured it, it might be five or six, but this is 22. And then what we did is rather than messing with boost, we just looked at ECU tuning and we did an ECU tune for a hundred octane without touching the boost. And what we ended up with was another, I think it was, I have to look on our website where that test is, but I, I think we ended up with a final number of additional 56 horsepower. And that's not touching the boost. That's just plain old engine tuning. So, you know, a lot of these cars that are performance oriented, regardless of cost, because, you know, there's, you know, the focus, there's the, the, you know, those hot focuses and fiestas and stuff like that. All of those guys, you, you know, there's an, an advantage to using higher octane fuel with those, those stock motors um, because that sensitivity is there. The key is you don't want to over-octane it because you will start to lose power. And that's probably one of our biggest question we get is how much octane do I need? And part of the issue with that is it's part art and part science. Are there equations that will help you figure out what the octane should be? Yes, those are available. That said, um, you can have two identical engines and run the same mathematical calculations, but they might have different octane requirements just because differences in the parts. Some things weigh a little differently. Some clearances are a little different. Everything's a, you know, a little bit different. So these engines sort of get these idiosyncratic kind of personalities to them. And that's where your engine builder comes in. That's where the art comes in, is how do I optimize that particular engine, that big box of parts? How do I make that work right? But we routinely, like you asked before about a 12 to 1 compression motor, we'll have someone call up and say, I need 120 octane. And I'm like, okay, do you have a, 
P-51 Mustang fighter that is sitting around or, you know, like a World War II, you know, a Spitfire or what, what, what do you got going on here? Well, no, I've got a, this engine and it's 12 and a half to one compression and I'm running 34 degrees of timing. I'm like, yeah, you can pretty much run that on pump fuel, maybe a little bit more octane. So, you know, the message we always have to our customers is more is not better. A lot of people will buy our ultra product thinking that's what they need. And they're just way over octane in the motor. You can actually damage it if you go too far because you'll get a lot of fuel burning in the exhaust stroke or not burning at all. And we always, we always tell our customers, you want to set your timing and your engine right at the edge of detonation. That's where it runs the best. And that's where you're going to make the most power. So let's say you have a motor set up to run on 91 and you put in 105, you're not going to get any more power. As a matter of fact, you're probably going to get less power. So more is not better. And it's funny, I always get this comment. It's like people will call up and I'll say, well, no, you don't really need that. You need this. Use our our regular product. Here's the blend rate. And they're like, okay, well, how many business owners tell their customers to buy the cheaper one, not the more expensive one? And I said, well, you know, I I don't want to damage your engine because that's my reputation. So that's the reason why. So speaking of kind of like tech support, what kind of questions do cross your desk the most about like fuel octane and race gas? The biggest questions we always get and as, as we talked about today, are how much octane do I need? What is the actual octane number that I should care about? And then what's the right product to get me there? There's a lot of guys, racers, that are always going to be barrel buyers. They have their reasons. They're going to do that. And for those guys, we say, God bless, their product's great. You should use it. But there's a large percentage of the market of weekend warriors, guys that are going to track night in America. You know, they're, they're going to different events that have been cropping up all over the U.S. over the last couple of years. And for those guys, they need to be able to adjust the octane to do, you know, their track night in America or whatever it is. And that's, where, that's kind of where we come in. The other thing we're finding, especially when you look at dirt track racing and oval racing, those guys race a lot. They race... 40 times a year, some of them, more sometimes. And I guarantee you the number one most expensive thing after transportation and tires has got to be fuel. Racing fuel is really expensive. And that means a lot of racers are not going to race as much or race at all if you don't give them an alternative to high-priced commercial racing fuel. Right now, motorsports is at a critical phase in that There's more amateur racing series now than there ever have been available before. I'm a road course racer. There was one endurance series 10 years ago. There's five now, amateur endurance series. And they're getting 400 drivers a weekend. Track Night in America has propelled the sport. Um, More people are, you know, taking a car and mildly tuning it and going down the strip or, or road course or time attack, whatever that weren't doing this before. That's the good news. The bad news is, is fuel costs went up and no one can afford to have less people participating. So we all have to be cost conscious and we always are as racers, but being able to offer an alternative, you know, that's 50% cheaper on your second most expensive expense is kind of a big deal. Speaking of expense, I know during our offline conversations before we had this interview, um, you had something that you wanted to tell uh, grassroots racers about that could uh, potentially help them out as as they go about competing in events this season. 
Do I have the name right? It's called Contingency Connection? Yeah. So I don't know how many people out there know about this, but if you don't know about it, you should. There is a group called Contingency Connection. They sponsor 1,500 races a year in the US. They sponsor, I want to say 70 tracks, and they sponsor 18,000 racers and 50,000 spectators a week. This is a program that my company joined this year, and we're so excited to be involved. The types of racing that are covered are everything from dirt track, late model asphalt, circle track, road course racing, boat racing. And we're really happy to be involved in this program because we're giving basically sponsorship to amateur racers, which we never get. So for example, uh, you know, we've got, you know, we had a race and the top two winners got a prize package from us, which included free product and uh, some other goodies. Um, and all the fans at the, at the track got a 25% off, off discount and all of the racers got a 35% off discount. You know, I, amateur racers being one myself, we're such an underserved market. Nobody seems to care about us. Just because we're amateur doesn't mean we're not as going fast as, as fast as the pros we are. And being amateur also doesn't mean the cost is cheaper because it's still just as expensive as it is for a pro team in whatever series you're in. So I look at this and I say, you know, anything that a company is willing to do to help lower my cost to run, I'm all over. We got involved with this program this year and it, the, the response has just been out of sight. So if you guys are not familiar with this, it's called Contingency Connection. Check it out. Uh, one of the things that, that is nice about this program is it's always growing. So if it's not at your lo local racetrack and you want it to be, go to contingencyconnection.com and submit it. And likelihood would be that your track would end up being sponsored. As an amateur racer myself, we don't get money for anything. So anything that we end up getting that we use as free is, is pure gold to me. And that's what this program does. And I couldn't think of a better note to end on than that. Uh, we've been talking about all things racing fuels with Dan Muldowney. He is co-founder of Race Gas. If you want to learn more about that product, it's race-gas.com. And if it sounds like it's a good fit for your engine, click on over to summitracing.com and you'll find it for sale. Dan, thank you so much for talking with us today and uh, good luck on the track, my friend. I appreciate that. Thank you. Appreciate everyone listening. This has been the On All Cylinders podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Check out new episodes coming soon at onallcylinders.com. Onallcylinders.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.